Dear PMG, although I'm 19 years old, I'm only five foot tall. On top of that, I have what a lot of aunties and uncles call a sweet baby face. I don't mind this much, but every year around the holidays when my parents spend a lot of money on Diwali and Christmas gifts and seem to be short on cash, they insist on telling the ticket collector at the movies that I merit a $2 youth discount. Since they taught me to be truthful from the first moment that I told a white lie, I find my parents' film-going subterfuge inconsistent and irritating. PMG is an imaginary postmodern Gandhi, and the letter is written by imaginary South Asian Indian in somewhere in North America, and the letter is from a book called Satyalog by our guest today, Raj Oza. Now, back to the letter and the response. I know that the couple of extra bucks don't make that much difference in the family budget, so I'm sure that Papa and Mummy are trying to teach me to be frugal. When I tell them they are cheating the system, they smile and say, Oh, son, you will understand when you have a family to support. Anyway, since you're only one year over the age limit, the movie people don't mind. I've decided to stop going to the movies with my parents until either I add an extra six inches or they pay the full adult ticket. Do you see any other way around their penny-pinching deception, dear PMG? PMG replies, One cannot reach truth by untruthfulness. Truthful conduct alone can reach truth. Although Gandhiji made famous his Satyagraha philosophy, I don't believe he had a Shortyagraha exception clause. It appears to me that while your parents may have a noble goal of teaching you to be careful with money, they have taken a rather untruthful approach to inculcating this truth. I suggest that you and your parents have a conversation about all the big things that their small deception may be cheating. Again, my guest today is Raj Oza, an organizational transformation consultant. I first ran into Raj about 20 years ago when he worked with our team at Cisco Systems. Uh, since then, because he lives in Palo Alto, we've gotten to know each other a little bit. We meet at the Y occasionally. And I found out that besides the fact that Raj is South Asian, like myself, he's a very deep thinker and the author of several books, including The Indian Diaspora and this latest one, Satyalok. So Raj, why don't you tell us why you wrote this book? Well, thanks so much, Jake. Uh, really, really great uh, to be with you today. And uh, by way of this uh, uh, media, uh, to be with uh, our friends at the Oak Guild Institute. Um, you know, I've got to, first of all, say thank you to the YMCA. Because uh, Jake and I have known each other for many, many years. And we bump into each other, you know, on walks and this and that. But it was really at the Y when we'd be working out after I had a shoulder injury that Jake and I really connected and what you know began as colleagues and kind of moved to acquaintances, moved closer to uh, what uh, we would call a friendship. And I, I just treasure it. Uh, so thank you, Jake, for the friendship and thank you for this opportunity. You know, as, uh, as for satyalog, yeah, it's this funky word, you know, satya and log. And we'll get to, you know, where does all this come from in terms of Gandhian thinking? So 
Satya means truth, and it comes from the Sanskrit, Satya. Log, and I think we all know it, monologue, dialogue, uh, is from the Greek in terms of conversation, discourse, talk. So it's truth talk. And Gandhiji really dedicated his life to an experiment with the truth. It's actually the name of one of his books. And you know, as for me, then the Gandhian guide to postmodern day dilemmas. Why did I write this? Is that way of being in the world still relevant? Is you know, Gandhi you know, born in 1869, you know, just shortly after Abraham Lincoln left the world? Is that still relevant to us? Truth in this so-called post-truth world, is that still relevant to us? Well, we have all these dilemmas that we live with, and they've always been there, and they take different shapes. And my belief is we look to the past to really get a sense of how to live in the present and pass along something. In the next excerpt, I go to the point where I asked Raj to tell us a little bit about Gandhiji, the man, uh, the man that informed the book that many, many years later that Raj wrote. And, uh, you know, Gandhi, Gandhiji, Bapu, a lot of people refer to Gandhiji as Bapu. You know, Bapu is often you know, considered as a grandfatherly figure. And quite frankly, you know, for me, that's what I live for. I've got a granddaughter and so much of what I'm doing these days, this, this dialogue I'm in with you, Jake, uh, is the idea that uh, that's something we pass along. So as for Gandhiji, as for Bapu, you know, here's the thing. He was born in India, and a lot of people think of him as the father of modern India, as an Indian. The truth is, he's a global citizen. He's a very young man when he left for England. He studied the law in England, and people don't often recognize that, oh, I thought he was like this religious figure. He's a lawyer by training, and he practiced the law. He went to South Africa, and a lot of folks sit there and say, South Africa? Wait a minute, what does that have to do with anything? That's where he actually put all this theoretical stuff into practice. He practiced civil dis disobedience in South Africa, in the, you know, the apartheid S South Africa, you know, the pre-Nelson Mandela, if you will, South Africa. Uh, and then he truly led India and, and, and the globe's independence movements. Uh, so there's a lot going on with Gandhiji. And, you know, as for myself, in this next excerpt from my interview with Raj Oza, we get into a conversation on Gandhiji's guiding philosophies. He's known for what is called Satyagraha, but Satyagraha is just the capstone of Gandhi's philosophies. So let's take a listen. So Satyalog, the book is about letters to a postmodern Gandhi, and you posit that um, he is very relevant. He's relevant because the principles and the values by which he lived by can guide us at any time, ostensibly. That's why he's relevant. And so, you know, right at the start of the book, you, you enumerate and unpack those values. And I don't know if I'll say it right, but Satyagraha, um, Satyagraha, uh, Swaraj, Sarvodhya, and Ahimsa. Um, 
So for those of us who are not from the Indian subcontinent, um, uh, why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about those values, that guiding philosophy that forms the basis of not just Gandhiji's life, but how you can respond today as a postmodern Gandhi in, in, in Satyalok. Thanks, Jake. Uh, you said it beautifully, by the way. And, you know, for, for me, this is one humble person's perspective on Gandhian thinking. Others might come in and say, oh, no, it's just about Satyagraha. It's all about truth, because that was the primary principle, and everything else is in support of that. Others would say, well, wait a minute. You say Satyagraha, hold fast to the truth. I remember seeing, you know, this, this uh, opera by Philip Glass called Satyagraha. And it was about the whole movement. It was about nonviolent movement. So what's going on here? Uh, and I'd say yes to all of it. You know, you pick the part of Gandhian thinking that resonates for you and does what I call sense-making for you. So for me, it's the four of them together with truth at the center of it as being primary that really guides my way, my worldview that I've really been blessed to glean from Gandhian thinking and others' thoughts on Gandhiji. So for me, each one of these words is more than one word. It's two smashed together, that portmanteau. So again, satya, graha is holding fast to the truth in every situation you find yourself respond truthfully your truth which may not be an absolute truth but certainly is guided by an absolute truth so hold fast to the truth don't make it up don't make it a convenient truth don't make it an inconvenient truth make it a truth that you stand by and you hold on to you know graha you know, grip it tightly. Um, that's so good. That's so good. Shall we go to Swaraj? Yeah, please. Just let's go through the other uh, the other ones. And, you know, there's so much to unpack here, but uh, just take us through a quick tour through the other three. Absolutely. And, and, you know, I'll go a little faster here, Jake. We can come back to these in the future. I mean, that's what friendship is. It's not right. one conversation right. done. Right. So we can definitely come back to these. Um, but I'll just briefly mention these. So Swa means self. Raj, uh, which actually is a part of my name. My full name is Rajesh Kumar, but Raj means rule. You know, I think we may have heard of British, the British Raj, which meant the British rule over India and many other parts of the world during uh, imperial times. So Swaraj is also a portmanteau, a neologism that smashes together two words, two elements of uh, Sanskrit. It becomes self-rule. And to be really quick on this one, this is not just a political self-rule that a lot of people associate with Swaraj, you know, which was India's independence from England. Or if you're a Pakistani, Pakistan's independence from England. I believe what Gandhiji intended by this and the way I internalize it is self-rule as control over oneself. You know, Jake, one of the things, I know you know this, but one of the things I do is help the MBA students over at Stanford. So this is actually a movement that is inspired by Gandhiji, primarily now in Sri Lanka, in lots parts of South Asia, you know, southern parts of India, etc. 
and has more to do nowadays and is more associated with Buddhism than it is uh, with, uh, with Gandhian thought. But for me, it comes from Gandhian thinking. Serving universal. Mean? Go ahead, please. Yeah. Now, what does it mean? Yeah. So serving universal uplift. So sarvodhya. You know, it's compassionately looking at the whole and being of service to the whole. And it really has the sense. My favorite phrase from Sarvodhya is, as you build the road, the road builds you. So the idea is don't do have all these things as you know fancy thought processes and you live by them, they're in your heads. Instead, live by it every day in your life. You know, with your children, with your spouse, with your grandchildren, with your neighbors, your friends, your colleagues at work. You know, put it into action, put it into work and do it with a sense of compassion. Mm -hmm. The last one is ahimsa. Himsa is violence. Uh is like, like in English, un or non. So nonviolence. And again, you know, the importance here is sometimes we think of this as physical violence. And, you know, Gandhiji would stand up against, you know, the, the, the British Empire and, you know, take beatings and all that type of stuff and go to jail. And that is true. There is the sense of physical violence and nonviolence, but there's also the sense of emotional spiritual violence and nonviolence to think a thought and think evil um, that's also nonviolent that, that's also violent and to really have self-rule to overcome some of those baser instincts is to move towards nonviolence so for me Jake you know as you and I have been in Satyalog these years you know move today and you know tomorrow into greater Satyalog truthful uh, conversation, truth talk with each other. You know, I'll keep going to all four of these because not always successfully, but I try my very best to live, you know, by, uh, by these Gandhian principles. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. In this next section, uh, I respond, uh, to Raju's exposition of Gandhiji's philosophy, which culminates in the Satyagraha or holding fast to the truth. Um, you will hear me talk about, as a Christian or a follower of Jesus, uh, how it's uncanny that um, the, the, the same concepts look for the truth. And I use uh, the scene where Jesus is before the Roman governor Pilate, who asks him, what is truth? So sit back and enjoy. And more importantly, to hear it unpacked from you, and you know I'm a Christian, which is in short words, a follower of Jesus. Um, but at the end, you know, we're all are or should be followers of the truth. And what is uncanny to me is um, that uh, if I look at the teachings of Jesus, uh, there are so many parallels. I mean, I mean, just starting with uh, when Jesus was on trial in front of the Roman governor Pilate, uh, he, he said, I, I came to this world to testify to the truth, to which uh, the, the, the Roman governor said, what is truth? I mean, and so the whole concept of hold fast to the truth. And then when you look at the teachings uh, in the Bible, self-control or self-rule is there through and through. And hello, the universal uplift 
is all about blessing, willing the good of others, which is what we're supposed to do. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus called us to be uh, peacemakers, uh, nonviolence, you know. Uh, so the principles I, 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 I see in the, in, in, in the person that I follow, and, it, and, and it's almost a reminder that if you seek truth, to God, and, and and so as we continue this uh, dialogue, uh, I'm just uh, fascinated by the uh, parallels, and I'm so glad we're having this uh, this discourse, if you will, this this discourse. I mean, in in fact, uh, right in the Gospel of John, it starts off in the beginning was the Word, or logos, right, and it also means reason, and I think part of what God wants to do with us and wants us to do with each other is to have discourse or contested discourse. So maybe uh, before we take a break, just talk a little bit about that because you can have more than discourse, but I think we're supposed to have discourse. Pontius Pilate, before you, know, you shared these quotes and you know, obviously courtesy of Google, I could jump in and take a quick look and say, oh, there we are. And I found out that he's also known as jesting pilot uh because apparently during the trial he walked away when jesus said i've come to testify to the truth and i would suggest that if gandhiji was asked about this you know what is truth you know what shall i do with jesus gandhiji would sit there and say do not turn away i turned as in gandhiji i turned toward jesus as i turned to so many truth seekers that have come before me. Um, and th that's how I believe he would have responded then, uh, meaning, you know, in the, the uh, late uh, 19th century and early 20th century. And that's how I respond today in terms of that. Now, you know, I, I have yeah, to that Gandhi never met him in his lifetime, but there is a, um, you know, uh, in the circles that, uh, I travel in a very famous USC philosopher who passed away about eight, nine years ago named Dallas Willard. And when he's a philosophy professor at USC and when, and he happened to be a Christian and one of his students asked him, uh, Professor Willard, if you had to choose between truth and Jesus, who would you choose? He said, always seek truth and Jesus won't be far away. So that is powerful truth, so to speak. <laughs> This is, it. this is it. I love it. I, I did not know that quote. You, you've mentioned uh, Dallas Willard to me before, and uh, uh, thank you for that. I, you know, Jesus will not be far away. I love that because when, when Gandhiji was asked about, you know, what is your religion? You know, he, so you say you've been informed by all this. Well, aren't you a Hindu? And he said, you know, my religion is truth. It was a fascinating conversation with my friend Raj Oza. And again, in this brief section, there are excerpts from that conversation. This next excerpt, uh, we go into a political reality with our president number 45, Donald Trump, and all the emotions he creates. But how does that relate to um, examining truth? So take a listen to this interaction between uh, Raj and myself. potentially a little bit dangerous to venture into truth because you don't know where truth will lead. 
but we should always follow the truth. But since this is um, one of the first podcasts for the Oak Hill Institute's Life of the Mind, and we want to have you as future guests, we're just going to give our listeners a, a, a teaser. So we're going to start to read the letter and maybe the start of the response, but not get into U.S. politics. How about that, Raj? So why don't you read, I want you to read a 2017 letter to postmodern Gandhi. That sounds great, Jake. And yeah, a couple of things. So yes, I, you know, I've been writing the book for many, many years. It was published in 2019 itself, uh, but the letter was written before. But it was during uh, uh, you know the first uh, years of uh, Trump's uh, administration. I do want to get to the part around dangers here. So you're right. Wading into truth can be dangerous. But just imagine how dangerous ignorance is. <laughs> so falsehood is. So, yeah, so that's, that's another way to look at that. So here, here's another letter. And folks, you know, and I'm saying this, you know, to, to you know, all listeners, um, please know some of these letters are actual letters from readers. I used to have a column in a magazine called Sethiolog. Some of them were letters that I just made up because I wanted to respond to this. This one was a, a letter that I made up. Uh, so here we are. Trump's truth, our, as a whole, your, individually, shame. Dear PMG, PMG is in postmodern Gandhi. The current president of the United States casually and persistently suggests that all news that he doesn't like is, quote unquote, fake news. Calling journalists dishonest is a preemptive strike from a prevaricating president who's been fact-checked by Glenn Klessler of the Washington Post as having, quote, averaged nearly 5.9 false or misleading claims a day in his first year in office. He hit nearly 16.5 a day in his second year. And so far in 2019, he's averaging nearly 22 claims a day, end quote. At this rate, Trump is likely to have told 20,000 lies, give or take a few thousand whoppers, by the time his first term is complete. Well, we know that number was exceeded. Continuing with the letter here, Jake. As Roger Cohen wrote in the New York Times, quote, there are now two definitions of truth in the United States. The first is that a truthful statement is one that conforms to facts or reality. By this standard, President Trump is a serial liar. The second is that truth is, quote, telling it like it is or speaking in a direct, unvarnished way without regard to political correctness or the offense it may give. By this measure, for millions of supporters, Trump is the most honest president ever. The United States has already become a post-truth society. Telling it like it isn't has become a form of truth. That's a nation in which chaos is more plausible because the ability to make rational decisions is diminished. Signal and noise can no longer be distinguished. Well, I got to oh my gosh, Raj, before you finish the letter, uh, let, me, uh, let me interrupt. That uh, reading this just hit me like a thunderbolt, right? 
because I'm of the camp that would have been saying, see, it's not 20,000 lies. He's out of office and it's over 30,000. I would have been harping, underscoring, underlining that. Um, but the Roger Cohen piece, and I always knew it, that he is authentic. He is transparent. You know, in, in computer terms, WYSIWYG or what you see is what you get. And, and, and there is an appeal to somebody who's authentic. That's just basic human relationships. And, and you can see why so many people uh, uh, are, are drawn to that. People are drawn to truth. And it's that truth that I was willfully ignoring because of the other truth. But a lot of people saw the authentic truth or the authenticity of the person, right? Whether you question his morality or not is a different thing, but they saw his authenticity and that was a form of truth. So thank you for actually putting that letter in. It just opened my eyes in a very different way. So thank you. Well, I think that's where the, the appeal comes from. You know, that's where that sense of charisma is people can latch on to that sense of authenticity. Um, but please, you know, Jake, let me continue in terms of the letter itself. And then, you know, I won't go to the whole response that I wrote, but I will go ahead and close here uh, with a quote from Gandhiji in terms of, you know, Trump's truth, our shame. So continuing with the letter, it used to be that I was proud to believe that where America leads, other countries often follow. Now I find shame in thinking that others are following our president's model of leadership, or rather, misleadership. Trump has given, if not permission, then certainly encouragement for other authoritarians to become fabulous, to bully, to grift, and to corrupt. In his own corrosive way, Trump has misled, aka lied, to create twin movements of narcissism and nationalism that are not worthy of emulation. And the letter then ends with a couple of questions. I have two questions. Do we all lie with Trump, an outlier in regards to the volume of his deceit? What would Gandhi suggest we do to get ourselves out of this mendacious mess? So here's Gandhiji's response. And he always opens with dear friend. It's such a kind way. And he did that in his actual letters. He would say, dear friend, uh, to those he knew and didn't know, dear friend, quote, but for me, truth is the sovereign principle, which includes numerous other principles. This truth is not only truthfulness in word, but truthfulness in thought also, and not only the relative truth of our conception, but the absolute truth, the eternal principle, that is God. Wow, that is so powerful, Raj, you know, and it, it just reinforces that uh, that we should seek truth. We should relentlessly seek truth. Um, and if it leads to uncomfortable places, that's okay, because ultimately it's going to lead us to God. So that is such a powerful statement. Well, this is Jake Chaco again. I hope you enjoyed these excerpts from the hour-plus-long conversation I had with Raj Ozer around his book, Satyalog, or Truth Talk. These are the kind of conversations we want to encourage at the Oak Guild Institute, or OGI. OGI is a newly emerging group enabling people to live a full life by leveraging a life that actively uses the mind. 
20th century political philosopher Hannah Arendt said a full life consists of a blend of the active life with the contemplative life. We believe our minds are needed, certainly for the contemplative life, but also for the active life. As Jesus followers in this day and age, we believe a life of the mind will seek truth and be open to engaging in dialogue with other truth seekers, even when their beliefs and views differ from ours. So, look for more podcasts as well as other forms of dialogue from the Oak Guild Institute. Have a great day.